The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by editor of the Vicious Syndicate Data Reaper Report, Zacco. How are you doing, Zach? Hey, everyone. How are you doing, Ridiculous Hat? Doing okay. Uh, getting getting ready to watch more of this Masters Tour after we record. It's going on right now, uh, and some of these deck lists look a little familiar. I'm I'm happy about the tech that uh, that has been developed through, well, through a lot of your research and data. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, we want to let everybody know that the podcast is on pretty much every platform out there, except Apple Podcasts. We're waiting for that final approval. takes a little while longer, especially in this quarantine world that we have. Um, but definitely subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Episodes will be dropping on usually Saturdays or Sundays uh, based on uh, when we get them recorded and when we get them uploaded. But you should expect to see them by Sunday every week couple days after the report, uh, definitely follow us on Twitter and join the Vicious Syndicate Discord, which you can find on our website, ViciousSyndicate.com. What we're going to talk about today, well, surprise, surprise, at the top, Demon Hunter and Warrior, both at the top of the show and the top of the meta, but there are some interesting meta developments going on there, uh, and then we want to talk about some further refinements to Druid, what to do about Rogue, and we'll touch on a couple of the other classes. I want to start by some of the meta developments at the top. Um... Zach, I, you were talking in Discord the other day, and you won, I think, 12 games in a row in Top 500 Legend? Yeah, so here's what happened. Uh, if you remember last week, we talk, I talked in the podcast, and I said, after we published uh, the novel list that cuts the Wrangler and puts the evil Quartermasters in, in the Bomb Control Warrior, um... I already said, hey, I'm looking at the people who are net decking us and playing right now, and they're crushing ladder. Well, turns out Theo took the deck, hit number one legend with it, with an absurd win rate. The deck just blew up from there. And this list has absolutely been dominating ladder over the past week. Um, it helped the archetype elevate itself to the number one spot in uh, this week's meta report at legend. Um, now, obviously, it's kind of tied with Agro Demon Hunter, but based on the current uh, projections that we have, uh, Bomb Controller is going to establish itself as the best ladder deck in the game by next week, unless the meta heavily shifts in against it, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But uh, the deck is, seems to be very promising. It's Agro Demon Hunter matchup. Possibly improved thanks to running Sword and Board and the Quartermaster. The Quartermaster is a very underrated stabilizing card in the matchup. It's quite important. Very good for risky skipper activations as well. And, you know, while doing the report for this week, I was looking at how impressive this list was. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take it to ladder. And I uh, logged into EU, which is where I usually play. I was like 800 legend. And I won 12 games in a row, and I pinged top 200. I was like, okay. Finally, my win streak was stopped by a priest that ran ooze as well. And, you know, he he, he played Lazul on three, stole my upgraded wrench caliber, and then oozed my wrench caliber. So that's what it takes to beat, beat this deck. And then when that happened, I was said, okay, 
if if this is how I'm going to lose, I accept it. I'm fine with it. Uh, but basically, the deck is very, very powerful. Uh, the list just looks very clean. Everything seems... All the synergies are in place. Obviously, you have the one tough matchup with Priest. And if they also run Ooze, makes it a little bit more difficult. But still, the list is um, well-built for the Priest matchup. It does give you a chance against them. And then in every other matchup, you're just not unfavored. There is no unfavored matchup. Based on what I'm seeing, my impression, and we'll see what happens once this list really takes over and becomes a high percentage of the archetype, but I don't see any other deck in the meta other than a Priest deck beating this deck consistently whatsoever. It just looks extremely powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm very impressed with it. Yeah, wow, that's quite the run. And... I think at first people might have struggled with it because it seems like they were trying to play it like in Rage Warrior. I know that's kind of a mistake I was making, but it's a very different deck. And yet with the innovations in the armor gain cards with Sword and Board and Quartermaster, like you mentioned, the Demon Hunter matchup feels a lot easier. You don't worry as much about just the damage from hand over and over again. I hope they don't top deck meta. I hope they don't have the cane. Um, what What strategy do you think could eventually challenge this deck if people were building a new one? Like... Uh, could people build a druid deck with more threat density? Would that be enough? Or is it just not that much of a challenge since they have to draw so many cards? Yeah, well, the, it's just that this Bomb Warrior deck is just so well-rounded against pretty much everything. And druid, the thing is, even if it increases its threat, it doesn't solve the issue that it wants to draw its cards. It wants to quickly draw through its deck, and then it ends up being pressured by in its life total and that's an issue and you know right now the matchup between bomb control warrior and aggro demon hunter is trending towards the 60 40 but it might even be more than that more than that uh, this deck might be a very reliable counter to aggro demon hunter maybe not as much as in rage warrior with eggs which is the hardest counter possible but this deck just looks very good in terms of how to beat it I think the only way to consistently disrupt this game plan is using utilizing Acidic Swamp Oozes. Now, Acidic Swamp Ooze is not a good card in other matchups besides against Warrior. It might get pop like it might be a good choice like a top legend where there are a lot of warriors. But even if you do decide to run Ooze, let's say every deck starts running Ooze, you can just swap out the green skin for a horde pillager, and that really helps you avoid getting blown out by an ooze because you can still re-equip a wrench caliber that was lost and keep pushing damage so even the one thing the one tech card that might disrupt the deck's game plan the deck still has a response and it switch, switches one card becomes a lot less vulnerable to weapon tech just making sure you have access to those extra bombs as well it that upgrades how many bombs you have in total from five to six just having that little bit of extra damage might be nice i want to make it clear captain greenskin is a better card than horde pillager if oozes are not everywhere if there's no big weapon tech then greenskin is a bigger body it provides more immediate damage it's insane on a wrench caliber that you drew from cash it just puts on so much pressure while Horde Pillager is a slower card, you need to get all the charges off and then you equip it. It's a 4-mana four 4-2, four so it's not good tempo on the board. Greenskin is better. But even if everyone started targeting Bomb Controller, there is just an easy way to kind of answer 
um, the oozes. So I, I don't anticipate the deck falling in its uh, dominant from its dominant position. Maybe it won't be an impressive force, but it's gonna be good. I'm pretty confident based on the matchup spread. It's just it's just so difficult. To target it because the inevitability you know a lot of people say it's not a control warrior it's a mid-range deck because it pressures but this is exactly how control decks need to be they need to be also be able to control the face yeah it's it's kind of like a mind blast priest uh, back in the day where yes the deck had react tools and could remove the opponent's threat and kind of play the control game but you had inevitability. You had the burst. You have the burn damage to kill people. And I always say it. You need to be proactive. If there is a deck that has some late game strategy. And wants to focus on surviving to some period of time. Where it can apply its its win condition. That win condition is better off being fast. And being di more difficult to respond uh, to. Respond to. And that's exactly what Bomb Control Warrior does. It has the inevitability through the bombs. It has strong tempo plays with Blastmaster Boom. And it's got the great finisher with Grom. Let me tell you this. There were many games I played against Demon Hunter where Grom won me the game. Because you, you kind of killed their early game. You're able to deal with that. But they keep drawing cards. Eventually, they keep drawing damage. Even through... They can push through... Even your armor gain. So sometimes you need that one big burst of damage to just finish them off. Because they draw their bombs, their life total gets low, you finish them off. This is why Enrage Warrior is great in the matchup. Because it just counter pressures. And this is what Bomb Warrior can also do. And it just the game plan is just very, very good uh, against a lot of strategies. And it's a very tough thing uh, to target it effectively. Because there's no interaction. You can't get rid of the bombs. So we're not running Wormrest Purifier yet? No, we're not running Wormrest Purifier. We're also not running Rafam and Quest Warlock. That, I don't think, is going to help. And yet, the way you're describing this Bomb Warrior deck, it reminds me of one of the first decks I played in Hearthstone, uh, of Shield Maiden Control Warrior, way long ago, where the deck just wanted to finish out, it wanted to control the, the board for five turns. And then curve Shield Maiden into Dr. Boom, into Ragnaros or Grom, into Alex Draza. And, and there's a lot of value in counter pressure because we've talked about that a bunch. That's what Demon Hunter loses to is run them out of stuff through about turn five and then kill them. Because if you give them time to top deck Skull, they will and it'll hurt. Uh, so is it over? Is Demon Hunter not deck number one? Did it finally happen? Well, I think it finally happened and Demon Hunter is not going to dominate... Uh, at least the legend meta or the top legend meta. Uh, you could argue that it didn't dominate that portion of the field already um, over the last week. Uh, but it's still going to be a very powerful class, clearly. And most players agree that the best classes in the game are Warrior and Demon Hunter. Uh, and also, there are actually developments in Demon Hunter in terms of responding to the current meta and perhaps improving some of its matchups. Um, so we should talk about that. So, Demon Hunter, our list is looking pretty spicy these days. Now, Crimson Sigil Runner is out. And, like, we can put it back in if we're running into more of those priests that you were talking about. But in terms of tech that's good against Mirror and good against the Warrior, 
this Bone Chewer Brawler card has actually been really solid in my, in my personal experience, especially if you ever get Bone Chewer Brawler coin sidekick in the mirror. It's just, it's invincible. It never dies. And then your opponent dies. Yeah, so the, the new adjustments in Demon Hunter is just a great example of why it's really important to be flexible when you do data analysis in Hearthstone and not be fixated on your preconceived uh, ideas and opinions. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Guard, Guardian Og Merchants were played in Demon Hunter list early in this patch. They looked terrible. I didn't even want to entertain the card after seeing its performance. Then, a week later, I started seeing Bone Chewer Brawlers. And I was also not particularly impressed with the card. It wasn't particularly strong on turn two. And it definitely wasn't strong if you drew it later than that. However, once you put Bone Chewer Brawler in the same list with Guardian Og Merchant, both cards become a lot better. And suddenly... I finally found a package of cards that could justify cutting Sigil Runner and Spectral Sight because I was pretty resistant uh, in cutting those cards because I saw the alternative were like Sideless Watcher and Volpera Scoundrel. And Scoundrel, even though it's popular, I really wasn't impressed with the card at all. But this package looks really good. And I'll explain why. Bone Chewer Brawler is a card that acts as another snowballing threat in the early game. You really want to stick a beaming psychic on it, and then it's very difficult to remove for Druid, for Rogue, in the mirror, the stat line, it just lines up well with all of your one-drops in early game. And also against Warrior, it's just difficult. It makes it very awkward to do a skipper turn when you have a 2-5 with that effect. Um, So it's very good with beaming psychic. The problem is, You couldn't get the Beaming Psychic consistently on the Brawler because it's just two copies of Brawler and two copies of Psychic. So if you play a Brawler on turn two, the likelihood of you having Psychic to buff it isn't that high. But when you add even one copy of Guardian Og Merchant, you increase the possibility of hitting a Brawler and making it a big threat by 50%. So suddenly you've got three cards that interact with it in a way that makes it very intimidating instead of two, and that put it over the edge. And then we saw Brawler is actually a threat on two, rather than being just a two mana, two, three with Taunt. So why is this good? Makes your early game stronger. Sigil and Spectral Sight were mostly strong in the Priest matchup, in the Quest Warlock matchup. We know that Quest Warlock kind of lost steam after the Rise of Bomb Controller, so it's less important to run cards that are good in that specific matchup. And Priest is Priest. It's going to be there, but it's not that big of a deal. Way better to improve your percentages in a mirror. Way better to improve your percentages against Warrior, obviously. Also very annoying for Hunter to deal with. Divine Shields is something that Hunter hates dealing with. And Og Merchant is a great card against Rogue, too. Because you damage the minions, so they can't backstab it. They can't seal fate. And they so usually they need to face tank the Divine Shield with their dagger, which means they're taking damage. And Druid... You know, we've seen the claws and uh, basically the two damage removals. Brawler can dodge that, especially when it gets buffed, and then just the druid just can't deal with it. So, very nice package of cards. Very impressed with it. Uh, so, yeah. So, I had determined before that Augment should sucked, and Brawler wasn't very good. And then I saw the cards in the context of being played together, 
and I immediately changed my opinion because I saw new data, I saw new uh, insights, I developed new insights, and I changed my mind. And that's what we do. We do data analysis. You need to be open-minded and be ready to change your opinions according to new realities that you may face. I don't even know if we're talking about Hearthstone anymore, but I still like it. Yes. It's true in life as well. It's true in life as well. But it's uh, it's very important for, for data analysts to be able to uh, shed their whatever prejudice they develop based on previous experiences and look at a new set of data and say, okay, something changed here. I need to acknowledge that it's different now. I need to be able to adjust and be flexible. We're going to rename the podcast Life Lessons with Zacco and listen to us to gain an advantage in your everyday life using the power of data. So Demon Hunter still seems worth playing, but yes, and the, the package here, the whole is more than the sum of its parts with these cards. The Og Merchant and, and the Brawler work so much better together than they do separately. Uh, but if there's a deck like Bomb Control Warrior that's going to get popular that is good against Demon Hunter and good against the things that beat Demon Hunter, then that sounds like it's going to be hard to topple. Do people start playing Priest at High Legend just to counter Warriors? Ooze Priest, maybe? It's already kind of happening. Priest is better at top legend than it is throughout the rest of ladder because you can hit warriors at a pretty consistent clip, um, which means that you might run into have a good run at count, uh, running into warriors and beating them consistently. But you know it's still tough for priest because it doesn't really have other favorable matchups. If he had better matchups, if it, if I saw it performing well against druid. Or having the potential of performing better than Druid against Druid, then I would be more optimistic about Priest's uh, possibilities and kind of changing the dynamic of the current meta. The problem is that Priest is not really able to beat any other class consistently. So even if you hit into 30% Warriors, you still need to kind of get lucky and run into them over and over again. And sometimes you're going to run into Rogue and get stomped. And sometimes you're going to run into Highlander Hunter and lose as well. So, And you don't beat Aggro Demon Hunter consistently. Uh, even if they stop running Sigil Runner and Spectral Sight, it's not like you're suddenly favored. So I don't feel like Priest is going to be that next meta breaker thing. But it's a thing. I don't disrespect the class. I don't disrespect Galakrond Priest. I think it's fine deck. It's just a little bit more situational than others. Yeah. And you have to be seeing a very particular slice of the meta in particular. You have to be seeing a lot of warriors in order to address. Um, how does Enrage Warrior adapt to Bomb Control Warrior? Is there is there a particular way to build Enrage Warrior that's better and more favored against the control build? Uh, not really. I think the matchup is very, very close. It's kind of a 50-50 already. Um, there's no really... You don't want to run Ooze and Enrage Warrior. You don't want to run cards that don't... Uh, Enrage Warrior needs to focus on its own game plan. Now, it does help if you run Greenskin uh, because it gives you more reach and more damage. Generally, if you're playing against a deck that's defensive in nature and wants to outlast you, then having more reach and damage in the late game is a good idea, but there's no major difference between the egg builds and the non-egg builds in this particular situation. Second Kokron and Greenskin can help, certainly, but I wouldn't say that there's a way that Enrage Warrior can 
miraculously turn this matchup into significantly favored or anything like that. Yeah. The the egg tech versus non-eggs is where I was thinking if it's time to go back to uh to just copying our Terran. But that might not be enough. Like or rather, that might not be significant enough to change. I think it seems like it's it's based on both the draw and the uh the ability for the Enrage Warrior to keep Battle Rage running. Because if they run out of cards, it's over. There's a misconception that the Egg build is favored against non-Egg Warriors. It's not true. What the Egg builds do is make you even more favored against Demon Hunter. They also help you against Hunter. In other matchups, they don't contribute or they contribute negatively. Like, it's worse against Mage, it's worse against Priest... It's a wash against Rogue and Druid. doesn't make any difference. And it doesn't make any difference against Warrior. It's not actually favored. So uh, the reason why people may bring egg builds to tournaments, for example, is because some some players like to run Highlander Hunter and ban Demon Hunter rather than banning Warrior. And then the egg do carry some value. Uh, but... In general, it makes your better matchups even better. So, which is the Demon Hunter matchup. So, if you want to run a deck that's a bit more well-rounded and doesn't fall flat against something like Priest, that's why we recommend running the double Kokron Greenskin because you feel like you every matchup you queue, you have a better chance. So you're you don't stomp the Demon Hunters maybe seventy thirty, maybe it's a sixty-five, a sixty-six percent win rate against them, but it makes a big difference against mages, makes a big difference, 10% difference against priests, which is kind of why we like the more well-rounded version without the eggs and the green skin. Yeah, it, it's, I agree, and the eggs always felt like a leftover tech from Galakrond Warlock days. It was so good against Plague of Flames, and now it's, it just seems a little bit less necessary. All right. Well, I think that's a good discussion of the top meta decks here, uh, and uh, glad to see that there's still room for this meta to grow and develop after a couple of months and a ton of balance patches. Uh, before we get to the next section, just asking, do you think there will be another balance patch before the next expansion? Do you think they'll nudge some cards? My guess is no. I don't think they will. Um, it's always possible, but I think when two months passed since the last, since the release of the expansion and they they haven't introduced a balance change, then I think next month you'll start hearing about the hype of the next expansion, and then it makes it less likely that they'll actually do a patch. My guess is no, but who knows? You know, they've been a lot more proactive in making changes, so maybe we'll see changes in, you know, timelines that, you know, at dates that we wouldn't expect. Yeah. If there was any card that I could think of that maybe would get a nudge, it's probably Corsair Cash. That one stands out to me. Uh it's talking about uh, about it with my co-host my other podcast last night, and he said Corsair Cash is in every Warrior deck in Standard and Wild. And that stood out, because you you just don't play Warrior without Corsair Cash now, and that seems significant. Yeah. The, the question is, though, will Team 5 want to nerf the card? Because if you nerf the card, you're in danger of just killing the Warrior class yeah. without it. Because their their entire strategies right now are built on drawing their weapons, and this that's what makes them consistent. So you're kind of fearful that you're gonna give them the Galakon shaman treatment, where you nerf warrior too hard, and then it's just not played. And then what did you do? 
then great. You killed one class, and maybe other classes will rise, but you didn't really balance the meta. You just nuked the class and gave another class maybe a chance to rise. But it's not... It wouldn't feel like a good decision at that point. So what they're trying to do is like making small changes and trying to like lower the power level a little bit and maybe it will feel more gradual. You know, Warrior and Demon Hunter are still strong. So maybe the taps that they got, the nerfs that they got weren't enough. But it seems like Team 5 are trying to make more frequent balance changes that are less likely to just kill a deck. Yeah, I agree, and it's a. I think it's a better philosophy. But we are also seeing, even after three rounds of nerfs, the top decks remain pretty similar. Uh, the development of Bomb Control Warrior over Enrage Warrior is is relatively new, but we're still seeing Demon Hunter and Warrior at the top of the meta. Uh, I don't know. I could see. I could see this meta getting stale if it stays the same for two more months. So I wouldn't be surprised if they nudged a couple cards next month for the sake of keeping it fresh, as opposed to for as opposed to for the sake of balance. But remains to be seen. It is fair to say, though, uh, as we wrap up this section, that something that is still developing, something that is still relatively fresh, is the continuing refinement of Druid. And Zach, is Claw the thing? Was that the thing that was missing? Well, I wouldn't say that Claw is the card that's going to turn Druid from, you know, where it currently is, which is like a nice tier 2 deck into a, a, a class that could break the top dynamic dynamic between uh, Demon Hunter and Warrior. But, uh, you know, we were looking at Druid very extensively last week, and we were we were kind of, like, I came to the conclusion that if the deck stays the same, it's going to stay where it is. So what we're trying to do is proactively refine the deck and trying to make it better. And when we look at how do you make a deck better, you need to try and figure out what card are you going to cut. And sometimes it's a tough decision. Sometimes you end up cutting cards you didn't think you would cut, like Bomb Wrangler, which a card that many considered to be untouchable in Warrior, and that ended up being a, a huge benefit to cutting it. Um, so we kind of try to search for a way to make Druid better, and first thing you need to do, okay, so which card would make way for the po potential upgrade? And we kind of identified Moonfire as maybe the card that's a little bit weaker than the others. And then we saw that Claw was performing very well, really well in the Demon Hunter matchup, which is the most problematic matchup uh, for Druid in, in the current meta for sure. So we said, hey, let's try Claw. And this is what we, we put in this report. What would happen if we just added the Claws and the Mountillers didn't fall off just because you're not running Moonfire anymore? We're already seeing signs that Moonfire is not that important for activating Mount Sellers, and which makes Claw a potential upgrade. Um, if you can gain a few percentages against Demon Hunter while not losing too much in other matchups because of the power of Mount Seller, then it definitely could be an upgrade. But is it going to be the upgrade that makes Druid Tier 1 deck? I'm not sure. Um, um, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't come out and declare that. But it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting development. What we did publish, we published two lists, one that runs the, you know, the vanilla build with uh, Rising Winds and Wild Growth. Uh, important thing about Wild Growth is that, we, you know, we talked about Ysera and how her uptime is very problematic. She's just not playable enough in the list that doesn't run Breath of Dreams. 
So double wall growth seems to be an adjustment to make Yesera easier to play in that list uh, and help her not be such a dead weight and often uh, because you still kind of want the late game threat potential that she provides. So double wild growth, double claw, see what happens there. And then you have the Breath of Dreams build that runs Breath of Dreams and Emerald Explorer. Uh, we kind of compared the two lists. Theoretically, we kind of matched them against each other and, and saw where they could be better and worse. So generally, the vanilla build without the Breath of Dreams is better in most other matchups because your fungal fortunes are better, which means your Glowfly Swarm is better. And just like the less minions you run, the more effective your swarm game plan is, as well as the mount cellular game plan. So it's just better against most other things. But the Emerald Explorer and Breath of Dreams, we do see that it gains some percentages in the warrior matchup. Which means if somebody brought Druid to a tournament while planning to ban Warrior, for example, I would highly recommend running just a vanilla build because the Breath of Dreams build doesn't seem to add much in other matchups. It actually uh, makes your matchups a little bit worse. But on ladder, if you're seeing a lot of warriors, then the Breath of Dreams build does have some justification behind it. Yeah, it's when I've been playing in Conquest-style uh, tournaments, if I'm leaving up warrior, I will take out the Glowfly Swarms and just go for big, dumb dragons. Just because Swarm is kind of really rough against uh, Skipper Brute. But... That has to be a hard target on the warrior because otherwise Glowfly Swarm is so good. And if you have Swarm, like we talked about, you want your minion buffers. And the uh, double Swarm, double Roar, double Power does seem to be the general way to go unless you have a really good reason not to. Also, if you don't run Savage Roar, then you're really kind of um, fixated and, and hard stuck at trying to beat Warrior... And you lose a lot in other matchups. Like, not running Swarm and Savage War hurts you against Warlock, against Priest, against Rogue. Hurts you in the mirror, too. So it's kind of awkward to, like, I'm just going to hard target Warrior on ladder. Like, if I'm taking this to ladder and not running Swarm or Roar, it's going to hurt my other matchups. Which is kind of why we kind of discontinued trying to refine the big dragon build. In Conquest, if you're leaving up Warrior... I can definitely see some logic to that. But on ladder, the streamlined game plan of Savager seems to be working better. Yeah. And also, sometimes you kill people on turn six, and that is better than not doing that. Exactly. Yeah. Advanced advice, kill people faster, win more games. Uh, it looks like Wrath is the casualty. So is there ever a point when we put the Moonfires of the Wrath back in? I guess, again, in the Conquest situation, if we're banning Demon Hunter, the claws are a lot worse. So maybe I could see the Moonfire Rathcon in. If you're banning Demon Hunter, then definitely don't run Claw. It makes a lot more sense to run Claw when you're banning Warrior and leaving up the Demon Hunter. Uh, on ladder, Claw could be uh, a benefit because it's not just good against uh, Demon Hunter. It's also very good against Hunter as well. Um, when, when would you potentially add back the Moonfires if the meta slows down? If the meta slows down and you're less pressured to provide answers in the early game, then the Moonfire with the Mount Cellar definitely uh, makes us, makes sense. Moonfire is not a bad card. Like we didn't cut the Moonfire because it's terrible. We cut the Moonfire because we were trying to patch up a weakness that Druid has on ladder, in order to figure out how to make Druid a top tier contender on ladder. We're trying to make it 
improve it from its tier two position to its tier one position. And if you want to do that, you got to make hard choices. Uh, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, then we'll know better when to run Claw, when to run Moonfire or Wrath or something else. Uh, but it's definitely not a downgrade. I can already tell. It's not like cutting Moonfire destroys the deck, because it does not. That makes sense. I will note there is one additional tech card you have listed. Uh, I guess it's not a tech so much as a choice, but in the Breath of Dreams build, it looks like you have a flex option listed of Soul the Forest out Anixia in. When would you make that swap? What is the value there? Just make Breath more consistent? Yeah, it's it's just that if you run three dragons, a lot of times you have the Breath of Dreams on two, and then you don't have a dragon, and you're really, really upset. Uh, because the whole point is to have Breath of Dreams consistently on two active. And that doesn't happen in this list. We've noticed that. So kind of like the same deal when we saw how our Sage is starved of stealth minions, we kind of can tell that Breath of Dreams uptime on turn two, or even later than turn two, is not really consistent. So we were trying to figure out what kind of dragon you would you want to run in a deck that runs Savage War. And the obvious answer is Anixia, because she floods the board, she's a big threat, She's it's hard to deal with the tokens and the big dragons at the same time. Now, we don't put it in the main list because we're not treating uh, our readers as guinea pigs because we don't know how Anixia performs. It's just a theory-crafted suggestion that Breath of Dreams will benefit a lot if it becomes more consistent. And this is the, the card that we would add in order to make it more consistent in that deck with that kind of game plan. Now, why do we cut uh, Soul of the Forest? Because Soul of the Forest's main asset is the pre-slash-warlock matchup. And we know how Warlock has kind of started to struggle on ladder recently, so you're going to see a little bit less of it, so that makes Soul of the Forest a little less important. We did notice that Soul of the Forest is kind of growing weaker as Warlock is declining in popularity. Yeah, and Soul of the Forest has historically been in a tech card that often in the past has been highly overrated. It does seem like there's some value to having it now in the case of, of a couple board clears. That extra board of two twos with the extra two health against a Risky Skipper can be really relevant, but Lowfly Swarm is already not great against Risky Skipper, so Soul is kind of slow. I wouldn't be surprised if it starts falling out of some lists, but at least in the in the vanilla core build, it seems like it still has a place for now. For now. But it's, def it's definitely possible that we'll eventually cut Soul. Yes. Uh, and then... Speaking of refinements, we'll wrap up Druid. The The class that I think deserves the most deck-building attention right now is Rogue, because you had a very extensive section written in the report this week about how the issue with Rogue is how players are building the deck. Now, you've brought up Spy Mistress about literally every time someone has asked you about Rogue, and it's still not a core inclusion, despite making the Demon Hunter matchup 5% better by itself. Why is this not in more decks? Well, if you look at Masters Tour, you look at the deck list, it is figured out. People do understand that Spy Mistress is very important, especially for the Demon Hunter matchup. And you even see it in secret, secret builds right now. So I think this, this thing where people were resistant on playing Spy Mistress, it, it, that resistance is fading and people figured out the, the value of the card. But I will say this about Rogue. Uh, the class is still quite messy. And... There is so much more to improve in the de in the class, and I will say this: I'll give you a hot take that is based on some data, but also my experience is that Rogue is the third best class on ladder. Whoa! That's my hot take. 
if it's built well. If it's built optimally, Rogue is the third best class on ladder. And I'm saying this knowing that Galakrond Rogue currently in stats is sitting in tier 3. Uh, and the reason is because the builds that you see on ladder are just not refined. Questing Adventure is just not popular enough. The card has huge value both in the Druid matchup and the Warrior matchup. But it's played in less than 50% of Rogue decks right now. Spy Mistress should be 100% included in every Rogue, and it's not. And when you look at Varian, you know, I think the secret build is okay. Uh, but it's not really showing me the potential on ladder that the stealth build shows. Because if you run Spy Mistress in the secret build, it's good on turn 1. Especially against Demon Hunter. But it falls off later because it has no other utility other than, you know, making good trades in the early game against early game minions that, you know, Demon Hunter and Hunter have. Um, but the stealth build runs Spy Mistress because it's part of the synergy package. And Spy Mistress is an activator for Greyheart Sage, which makes it easier to fit Spy Mistress and other cards that you want for other matchups in. And, you know, what we saw is, you know, we had a list last week. We featured a list with Akama and one Eviscerate. And this week we made one small adjustment, which is cutting the Akama and running double Eviscerate. The list in the report is at least 55% favored against Demon Hunter, and it's a conservative estimate. Wow. It's possibly better than even 55% if you're running double Evis. Why is Evis important? Clean answer to Glaivebound Adapts. Sometimes the rogue cannot answer an Adapt. And 4 damage is very awkward if you don't have an Eviscerate. And you just take 6 and that means you lost the game. Also, very important in this matchup is that the rogue can pressure and finish the game. This is where the burst from Eviscerate comes in. A lot of times when you beat Demon Hunter, you beat them by Eviscerating their face to finish the game. Uh, so... Because you're fast, you're fast. You you have race potential. You can kill them before they get the altruist blowout turn, or before they draw enough damage. So having a, a an aggressive list of rogue that can quickly turn the damage back into the demon hunter is very important. So if you want to play a deck that beats demon hunter consistently and isn't warrior, you take the list we put it on uh, on VS. I already took that list. I swapped out, just for experimentation purposes, I swapped out uh, one evil miscreant for the second devoted maniac because I wanted upgraded Galakron more consistently in slow matchup. And I went like 8-1. It was on NA, and it was on lower rank. It was like 1,000. But I was doing really well. I was even doing well against Warrior because the questing kind of helps you it's very important in the Warrior matchup to get ahead and not be too reactive and try to respond to their pressure. Because if you try to respond to their pressure, you're just taking too much damage in the process. And then, you know, the Corcoran and the Burst and the Bombs, they just put too much pressure on you. You don't have life gain. So getting a questing to Snowball, really important. Against Druid, it's invaluable. This matchup is so different when you run questing adventures. You are you become from significantly unfavored to a matchup that's like, it can go either way. Uh, so take the list that we feature in the report. That's how you beat Demon Hunter consistently. If you don't run Spy Mistress, it's a mistake, especially on ladder. It makes absolutely no sense. 
and the stealth build has bigger upside, bigger potential. And just like I told you last week, oh, I'm seeing this bomb warrior list doing, it's already tearing through ladder. Warg is not tearing through ladder, but it seems to be doing well when you built the list the way that we did. Uh, so take it for a spin. See it. Warrior Druid matchups are not pushovers. It's not still not easy, but you have a much better chance than if you're playing like super reactively and, you know, run things that not don't read damage. Rogue wants damage, wants lethality, wants to finish games quickly before it's overwhelmed. And are four stealth minions enough? I know the fifth option isn't quite where we want to be. I know we've talked about it was starving Greyheart Sage in the past, but at the same time, this kind of reminds me of how Breath of Dreams is in Druid. In this format, you just don't have enough tools to consistently turn on your activators. So it seems like the idea here is just play the good cards and hope you get there. Ideally, we would have run more stealth minions in order to activate Sage more consistently. Definitely Sage at four minions is not as consistent as we would like, but it's a game of sacrifices. What is more important right now? And what we found to be more important is having the double eviscerate. It's having the questing adventurers. Those are the things that are, and the spy mistress, those are the things that make Rogue a potentially third best class on ladder. Hot, hot take, but this is what makes it good right now. So yeah, the Sage sometimes is not going to be super consistent, but you're not, it, it, it's better to have the Sage a little bit weaker in the current meta uh, while having what I've highlighted in the Rogue list. And if the matchup against Warrior is not bad, and the matchup against uh, against Demon Hunter is as strong as you say it is, it sounds like this very well could be a meta contender in a way that Druid, they you've watched the Grandmaster broadcast. They they crap on Druid whenever they can, uh, just because the Demon Hunter matchup is is so tricky, and the Highlander Hunter matchup, which is more of a ladder thing than a tournament thing, I guess, um, or at least it was a week ago, is also pretty difficult. But if we could just see more rogues, maybe there's an option for the meta to, to continue to develop despite new cards, new balance changes not coming anytime soon. Yeah, I mean it's simple theory. It, it, it's simple theory if. Galk Rogue can play Questing Adventures and go 50-50 with Druid and then beat Demon Hunter 55% of the time, maybe even more than that. And then the Warrior matchup, maybe it's not 50-50. Maybe it's only 45-55. Then you have a deck that matches up well against the top classes in ladder. Uh, and and obviously Galk Rogue beats Priest, beats other things, does fine into Hunter. So then suddenly you have a matchup spread that you can you can get behind. In terms of Conquest, I'm a huge fan right now of uh, Stealth Rogue in Conquest format. If you ban Warrior and you go up in a lot against the, everyone, you, everyone is bringing Demon Hunter, and Hunter is also popular, and then you have Druid, so the questing list that we feature in the report is also a very good fit for that. You could make a couple of tech choices here and there to adjust a little bit for Conquest format, but the general idea also fits very well uh, over there. I've seen some people who are who fear the Glowfly Swarm tacking in Waste Wardens, which I guess is also fine against Seder Overseer, but that card seems yeah. a little sketchy. Maybe a bit of a, a reach. I don't think you need um, that kind of card against Demon Hunter. It's about That matchup is about taking the board early, 
pushing them off the board and start pressuring them. Um, Waste Waitern is a bit more reactive. Obviously, in theory, it hits the Blowfly Swarm, and then it also can hit the Demon Hunter if they have, you know, if they go really wide against the Rogue, which is something the Rogue can struggle with, then Waste Warden can help you, but I think it's probably an utterly terrible card in other matchups, so I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan, in general, of narrow techs that only work in a couple of scenarios. We can finish up Rogue there. So, just a couple quick hits before we wind down. Um, why aren't more people playing Mage? Because we've kind of had it higher in the tier list for multiple reports now, and it just seems like the ladder presence is really minimal compared to how viable the deck seems to be. It's not getting a lot of exposure from content creators, is the main reason. Um, you know, a lot of people think that whatever VS says is getting played, but our impact on the meta is not just direct, our bigger impact on the meta is indirect. If people, if content creators listen to us and, uh, you know, uh, make our, you know, take our opinions and adjusting their decks accordingly, then that has effect on the meta. I'll give you a good example. You remember when we screamed about Imprisoned Observer? No one listened to us. Imprisoned Observer was not played for like two weeks when we were saying it was one of the best cards in Highlander Mage. It took more control taking our advice, putting that card in his deck, and then hitting number one legend with it for that list to propagate and Imprisoned Observer was proven to be a really powerful card, as powerful we said it was going to be. Uh, another Theo hitting number one legend with the Bomb Control Warrior really helped that deck, that list that we posted, gain traction. Without it, it would have started to gain traction, but it, it probably would have been a slower process. So content creators, streamers, are the main driving force of the meta. And if Mage is not really seeing a lot of exposure there, then it's not going to be popular, even if it performs well. And I do think that Highland Mage is underrated on ladder. It's a fine deck. It's It, it doesn't have, it doesn't really lose to anything uh, other than Hunter, which is in decline. It kind of, yeah, it struggles against the Bomb Control Warrior, but you're losing the Hunter matchup and you're swapping it into a, a another difficult, relatively difficult matchup, but it's not like you're gaining more bad matchups. and It's not like the field is becoming more hostile to the deck. And then the Aggro Demon Hunter matchup is honestly not that bad. It's around a 45-55. You would think, based on people's impression, is that this is some hard counter that the mage cannot live, but if they play 20 times... The mage wins nine times. I mean, that's not awful. So mage is okay. It's not that bad. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's what I've seen in the report. It's I think it's the highest tier two deck we have right now. Right now, yeah. I was surprised to see that level of of performance statistically and such a small representation on ladder. But maybe more people will play it after they saw Silver Names Puzzle Box last weekend. I don't know. Don't be scared playing Mage on Ladder. If you're scared of the Warriors, just run Ooze as attack. Uh, the 3-drop taunt. Overconfident Orc. You can run the Ooze. It can help you in the in the Warrior matchup. But even that matchup is not that bad. Get the Dragoncaster off and blow them out with Power Creation. Warrior will struggle. Uh, speaking of Highlander Hunter, what you said was declining. Can it improve against Demon Hunter? I, I've had some friends that have performed reasonably well by... Putting the secret package back in, but cutting the uh, the snake trap for explosive trap, but that matchup still, as the hunter, feels kind of difficult. 
Uh, there's just so much damage from hand. Problem is that the it's just too reactive. You're you're still on the defense. You're looking at playing a face stalker. Okay, if you play face stalker on turn two against demon hunter, it dies. It's not gonna live. If you face stalker hero power on four, and you have a fifty percent chance to get the explosive trap, even then they just trade into your face stalker and they keep pushing. The problem of hunter in that matchup is not necessarily you know not having good cards to hit specific minions that they have. It's about its lack of swing potential in the matchup. It's very hard for Hunter to not just remove what Demon Hunter is developing, but take its own initiative. Rogue is very good at doing that. Hunter is not good at both removing and counter-pressing. Uh, it, it does have some plays in that form, like Veranus can offer that, but it comes online too late. It's usually stronger against slower decks. So in the early game, Hunter really struggles because it doesn't have a great removal package and it just doesn't have the consistent early game that Demon Hunter has. So usually Demon Hunter seizes the board, Hunter has no healing, it gets punched in the face, and it just dies. And it's very hard to fix that. Ooze, we talked about it, does not fix that. Yeah, Ooze does not really get there. There's not really a good way, even if you include Shadow Weaver, to, to try and slow down the Demon Hunter. Even if you include, like, if you're running Scale Rider, or even if you're running Waste Warden in the Hunter, you still have a lot of difficulty making something and killing something at the same time. It's really just Rotnest, and against a wide board, Rotnest, not that great. Yeah, it's not that great. Speaking of things that are not that great on the ladder, is Quest Warlock done? Is that just a thing that can't happen anymore? Uh, I still see them. Uh, even in High Legend, I still see them, but I'm, uh, they're probably going to decline more and more as they run into more Bomb Warriors. That matchup is really, really bad, and the more Bomb Warrior is going to rise in popularity, the more difficult life will be for Warlock. It's just, it's just really hard to... You know, Quest Rogue, back in the day, had a couple of 2080 matchups. It had matchups that were terrible. But it also have 80-20 matchups. So that canceled out. Meanwhile, Quest Warlock has got this 20-80 matchup or 25-75 if you're running Ooze. But it doesn't really beat anything else. Like, it doesn't have Excel. It doesn't beat Hunter. It still loses to Hunter. It doesn't beat Brogue. It doesn't beat Druid. It beat Priest. It beat Priest, yeah. Like most other things. If we're hard-countering Warrior with Priest at High Legend, and you want to hard counter the hard counter. Is that when we quest? No. <laughs> I'll tell you when you play quest. You play quest when you want to take, uh, you want to make a conquest lineup that uh, usually, but not always, bans warrior. Uh, and there are so many classes in the game right now that are so poorly positioned in conquest format that warlock is actually one of the better choices. Uh, I've seen you can either play the quest warlock and tech it a little bit for the demon hunter matchup and ban the warrior, or you can leave up the warrior if because usually people run enrage warrior. There are less people running bomb control because both of these decks compete for the same slot. So the tournament scene is like totally different. Control warrior is like it's it's not it's hardly a thing in tournaments right now. So you can bring it and run an ooze and tech for the enrage warrior and ban the demon hunter. That also works out. So the deck has a lot more applications in the tournament scene than it has on ladder. Ladder, I'm not a big fan of it because when you have a 20-80 matchup, then you better have an 80-20 matchup. 
and it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that is going to be the end of our major points for this week's episode. Thank you very much to everyone for listening, for tuning in. Zacho, you have an exciting wild report coming two days from today. You want, you want to give us a sneak peek? There will be surprises. Wild report coming this Sunday, June 14th. There will be a surprise. It's a big surprise. Big surprise. Ah. So expect it. Yes. I, this wasn't a hit at all. This was not a hint at all. Nope. Would you say that maybe when you were reviewing the report and the data, you had a eureka moment? Possibly. This is too much. You're, you're spilling the beans completely now. Come on. I'm just guessing. Let them think a little bit. It was a guess. <sighs> it's okay. All right. All right. It's fine. I can edit it out. No, don't edit it out. Keep it. Leave it. It was, it was good. They'll understand. It's fine. Yes. I'm glad everybody liked it. At least I hope they did. Uh, and then the next Fish Syndicate regular report on Thursday the 18th. Uh, that is going to be our episode for the week. Zach, thanks for hanging out. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.